0: All right, guys, today I get to interview Ben Heath, a man who has built over 500,000, actually over 600,000 social media followers, person who's putting on 200 to 300 ad agency clients, about 1,000 clients in total when you count the education side of the business, who serves countries all over the world, about half their business is in the US. So Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. But many of our listeners are real estate agents and investors that want to use advertising and social media to grow their businesses. So I'm really, really excited to get the insights. I want to start the conversation around the ads versus the personal branding. Can you talk to me about how those either work in conjunction, how they work independently, how you're building your personal brand versus running ads to grow your business?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's well, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, and that's a really good question. I definitely see them as, as working in conjunction. And as an ad agency, we have data to, to back that up, right? So we've run campaigns for clients where we have used um, influencers within someone's niche to run campaigns and the difference between, let's say, a video ad that reviews a product that has someone that's a known name within a certain niche and just a regular unknown person doing the same thing, using a product, or providing product review, is massive. We can, we can talk two and a half, three times as many conversions for the same ad spend. So having some sort of personal brand, um, which is obviously what a social media influencer is, right? It's a personal brand. Um, using that in conjunction with any form of advertising is just going to make both a lot more effective.
0: Take us through the journey of you building a personal brand. I mean, were you always brand aware? Did you have a brand from the very beginning? Is it something that you had to learn the hard way?
1: No, I started very much with ads. So I started, um, I, before I started my agency, I was running ads for a company, part of my job. And that's where I sort of learned the skill and then uh, started an ad agency. I didn't have like a personal brand at all. Um, I didn't even really set out to build one. But there's there a few things that happened. So the first one was, I was doing like a lot of new business owners a thousand different things to try and generate clients right you go to networking meetings and you you run ads for your own business and you do cold calling and cold emailing and all these things can work but i was just very scattergun, not really doing a good job with any of it um and then I, well, two things happen sort of simultaneously, really. I remember hearing a, a quote from Tim Ferriss. I'm not a big quote guy, but this, this one really struck me where it says, what's the one thing that you can do that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? Something to that effect. I've probably got the wording wrong. And I was like, I'm doing these thousands of things trying to get clients. What's the one thing I can do? So I had a look at the people that were where I wanted to be, the ones that were successful um, in my space they all had personal brands. They all had these followings. They knew, people knew who they were. They're like, oh, that's the LinkedIn guy. That's the Facebook ads guy, right? You had these people in your mind and it seemed like they were generating tons of leads really easily because of it. So that happened and uh, I saw that and I was like, okay, maybe this is a way to go. And I'd made a bunch of video ads that I was using as ads Um, I just threw them on YouTube, thought, why not? I've got these things. And they got almost no views because they were rubbish. But they did get a few leads. And I thought, okay, well, if this video has got 250 views and I've gotten four leads from it and a couple of clients, there's something here. If I could get a lot more views, could I get a lot more leads? Could I get a lot more clients? Um, And it turned out that was true. So that was in 2016. I put my first content up there. Um, I didn't really, it's one of those lessons, you know, where you, you learn it, but you don't actually do anything about it for a couple of years for who knows what reason. Um, but it was 2018 that I really started realizing that the most important activity for me to do as a business owner within my business was build my personal brand because everything fed through from that. Um, and it took another two years, 2020 really, until it really started take, I, I want to say taking off, taking off in my little niche, right? It's, everything's on a smaller scale. Um, and then, uh, and that really changed the business completely.
0: Walk me through your journey of creating a personal brand. I mean, a lot of people when they think of brand, they think of colors, they think of logos, they think of those types of things. What what does brand mean to you, and how did you build it?
1: Yeah, so for me, my personal brand at the beginning, so I'm very much late to the party and all that stuff. Like it took me forever, years, literally, to even set up like what I've got going on behind me with a few lights and a you know, This is where I record. and um, a, a bit of an office setup. For years, it was just a simple green screen and I told my editor, like, just make it look not rubbish, right? Um, so my focus was never on that. My first 200 videos were done with my phone, didn't even use a, like a proper camera. Um, it was all just about the value that I knew I could deliver in the content because I was running campaigns for clients and I knew that the stuff that I was doing, there's loads of people that want to know how to do that stuff. So I focused much more on what went into it so for me, what I found useful was I just went into more detail. So I was willing to do go into more specifics around, here's an hour-long video on how you set up a Facebook ad campaign. I'm not going to skip over the stuff that other people are skipping over because I know people are going to want that. So that was, that was like the first few years of it was just, I'm just going to try and deliver as much value as possible and be as helpful as possible. And that worked. As time went on, I had more money to invest back into it. I hired you know, more expensive video editors that could do a good job and, and invested in cameras and, and things like that. Um, but that was not my focus at all at the beginning. I don't think it needs to be for people either. I think you can, you can work all that sort of stuff out, colors and things like that. People get fixated when they start things on logos and that sort of thing. I don't think it matters. At the beginning, hardly anyone's watching. Just deliver the value and you'll figure out all the rest with enough time later on.
0: So you got obviously super clear on what's the problem that people need solved. How how can I solve it? And and essentially, it sounds like your business model was right: give away all the information, sell the implementation.
1: Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I mean, we do, I do have like a Facebook ads course that I sell. So there's, you know, you can also purchase that, which is more information than necessarily. You know, I probably put out ninety eight percent of info out there for free and there's a little bit that's held back also things with like courses i think often you're paying for sequencing right so you can watch like a load of youtube videos and it's difficult to work out exactly how to do things in the right order that's what that's the sort of thing a course helps which is really important so but yeah i mean i'm very close to giving away everything for free and, and the majority of our business is uh, done for you implementation yeah.
0: and and sequencing for sure and like I just know i've I've learned a lot of topics on YouTube for free, but I would have probably been way better suited to pay for that person's three thousand five thousand dollar course because the amount of time it took me to to yeah. compile all the information because it's like you, you got ninety eight percent but twelve percent of it's in this video and seventeen percent of it's in that video, yeah. and it's uh you have to watch a hundred more videos than you need to to get the whole picture definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So your personal brand was built on this idea that you understand who your target audience is, who you're going to help, who you're going to serve, et cetera. And then you just went after it. What sort of volume did you do and for how long to get from zero to 600K followers?
1: It wasn't crazy for years. It was, you know, we're talking, um, a YouTube video a week, uh, maybe a live Q and a session in, on, in my Facebook group every week and a couple of short videos put out on instagram something i mean that would literally be it for for years and years um i found that i think because of the industry that i'm in a lot of what i'm talking about is quite dense there's only so much like when you're educating people there's only so much they want to consume of that i think that people who are building personal brands in niches that are just more fun and easy and entertaining right it's it, you can just you can consume that stuff all day long you can't do that with mine so i i just instead of going for any sort of crazy volume, I was just like, I'm not going to miss weeks. I'm not going to all of a sudden miss a week and then it's been four weeks and you've missed out. I'm going to, if I'm going away on holiday or something, I'm going to get a couple of extra videos recorded so I'm all prepared. So it was just that for you know a good four years. Now I do a lot, lot more than that. But again, that's because I have a whole team in place to be able to run the agency side of my business. And I have editors and people to be able to produce the content. I have people to post it. So most of my work time is just getting that done now. Whereas for so long, I was managing clients and trying to hire staff and trying to do the same time. So I knew I only had, you know, I might've had for years, I had like two hours a week to, to get content made. And that was it.
0: So let's switch over to the ad side of things. So on the ad side of things, mm. you were running ads for a company like tell me about that like would you recommend someone that's getting into the space that they work for a company first before doing it on their own like what did you learn there and and was that a good launch pad for
1: you i don't think you need to work for a company but before you're going to sort of go full agency and start taking on clients you need some experience um you know you, you don't need to do it as part of your job you could have like a side business where you run some ads for you know friends of yours. That are, like one of the very first businesses I ran um, ad campaigns for was my mum's interior design business because was like I was learning this stuff, my mum knew about it. She had a business, she wanted leads. She's like, "Can you help me out?" I'm like, "Sure." So I did that for you know years and and really early on, that was really useful learning to be able to then go and, and get clients. I think that if you're gonna try and sign up clients and you don't have the experience, you just like they're going to tell, they're going to be able to tell that, they're going to feel that, you're not going to be answered the questions properly and you're likely to run into issues. And I do see it every day and then pop up in like my Facebook group or something where someone will say, I've just signed up a new client and then they'll ask a question and you think, you shouldn't be asking that question if you've got a client. Like you're not ready. If you don't know the answer to that, you're not ready. That Like by all means, ask questions, but not if you're doing this, you know, professionally for clients, you need, to, you need a bit more knowledge there. Um, so yeah, I just think getting some experience is a great way to do it. Most people have got friends family uh someone who's got a business that would like more sales or like more leads and if you offer to work for free they're almost certainly going to say yes like that my mom's interior design business didn't make much money so i just did it for free for the first i don't know year before she was like we should probably pay you a bit for this um so yeah i think think that's a good way to go
0: how how was the transition for you so you're doing these businesses for free like if, if you were kind of designing that for somebody how many businesses should they do for free for how long and when they start should they price their services at market value? Should they they undercut them? Should they go free to less? to? How should they scale yeah. it up?
1: I think it doesn't need to be many if you're going to go niche specific. So let's say I, had, I ran campaigns for my mom's interior design business. If I was happy staying in that industry, that one might have been enough because I know exactly how to then replicate the results across similar businesses. I ended up going broad, taking on all sorts of clients. So I think it was important for me to have more experience. And I probably run campaigns for 10 different businesses, a handful of them my own. I'd always been entrepreneurial, like through university and things like that. And um, before I started taking on clients, I had like quite a wide range of experience. And I think, I think that's important. But if you're going to stay in that specific space, I think that's fine. In terms of charging, I charged ridiculously low. I think my very first client, I was talking about this to my wife the other day, I think I charged 100 pounds a month for campaign management. So, you know, $125, $130 and like that, which is just, I mean, that's just ludicrous. You, you're not going to make any money doing that, that's for sure. But that wasn't the point, right? The point of that stage was not to make money. The point was to learn and to get experience. And that was a business that sold cakes online. And like, I hadn't done that before. So great, let's let's have a go at that. And I remember getting a, a hair salon as a next client. I might have charged £150 a month, like a little bit more, but not much. And, and um, you, you can't, you can't do that for very long. It's also, I'm a big fan. If you're going to start a business like that, like do it on the side to your main job. I did that. And because I remember, I think, you know, those first few, those first six months, I might have got up to the point where I was making $800 a month. Like there's no way that would have paid the bills, but it was nice extra income. And I was learning. I wasn't, it wasn't the time for me to make, make a lot of money. So I think it's hard because no one wants to have that patience. But I think the approach I took looking back was, was a decent one.
0: You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and got an inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So let's talk about the real estate niche how much do you mm. serve the real estate real estate investor niche
1: um we've you know uh it's not like i said our clients are broad so it's not like we focus on that but we must have worked with a dozen real estate based clients and we've got some on our books right now
0: so there's kind of a saying out there amongst a lot of marketers that real estate agents are notoriously hard to sell to they're notoriously hard to work with has that been your experience
1: um no more than others, honestly, I, I, I wouldn't say. I, I don't think that we found, in fact, probably easier in some aspects for what we do. The Some of the things that make what we do really difficult will be businesses with razor-thin margins because they can't tolerate any sort of fluctuations or temporary dip in performance or like we're going to launch a new style of campaign that didn't land quite as well. Whereas those businesses with higher margins where they just make more money per customer, they tend to to perform better, um, and and you know, real estate for the most part falls into that. In terms of the the real estate clients that we've got, I would say that of those dozen, at least half aren't like traditional real estate agents. If that makes sense, they've been doing slightly different things. Whether that's educating around it as well, or whether that's looking to purchase like distressed properties at a discount, they've been doing some like different things to sort of just the traditional trying to find a buyer and a seller and take a commission.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that because we serve real estate investors uh, with this podcast. It's a decent size of our audience. So, what yeah. would you say you found to be some of the must-dos in campaigns when it comes to real estate investors finding distressed properties?
1: Um, be, okay, so it basically comes down to like two main things with a, with a, with a, an ad campaign like that. It's your offer in the first place. So, like, just be super upfront and clear about that. If you are looking to buy. Distress properties at a discount. Um, state that in your ad. Make it very clear, but also state the upside. So I think on on that campaign, you know, we were talking about uh, money in your bank account within as little as fourteen days. Or so, you know, I can't remember the exact number what was said, but it was something like that. So they can they can see, you know, the person looking at ad thinks, wow, I could offload this property and you know and, and get some cash. With I've got these debts, I've got this whatever. Um, they can see the offer, and then the other thing. Is around. It's not actually within the ad campaign itself. It's around lead follow up. So we've been really hot on this with a lot of our clients. If you follow up with any leads that you generate, like the speed with which you follow up is incredibly important. The difference between calling every lead you get within five minutes of them signing up, and even just waiting. Let's say you do wait to the end of the day and you call everyone at you know four pm or whatever that have come through the day. It's massive. You'll get. If you call people later in the day, they'll forget that they signed up, they're busy, they won't pick up the phone. If you call them back straight away, it makes all the difference. And then also being willing to follow up and follow up and follow up with those leads. So just just working those leads makes a huge difference.
0: Now, I've noticed a lot of uh, agencies here in the States really struggle, um, particularly in the real estate industry, because they, they're able to generate lots of leads for the clients at pretty cost-effective rates. But conversion yeah. becomes a real problem for some of the reasons you just mentioned, yeah. right? Speed to lead quality of scripting and process you know on the sales side how has that you know been for you guys like have you guys had a lot of turnover related to the client's inability to close or
1: yeah it does happen no matter what you sort of try and tell them to do some don't do it right um, and it's just I think a lot of these things come down to the simple stuff it, the, the biggest one is definitely speed of contact that that it's hard to overstate that and you, you I've told people that before and they go sort of yeah 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 and then they take their um contact speed down from say an average of a day and a half down to just a day and you think you're way off you're honestly you're way off here you want to set up a CRM integrated with your facebook ad account that you get a notification or someone on your team gets a notification when that lead comes through and they are there, ready. They stop what they're doing and they call a phone number. Don't try an email. Don't try and reach out anyway. They call the phone number and um, and get in touch with that person. Just move the, the process along. That it's like the la- It's like well, it's not the lazy. It's it's the the hard work, boring stuff on that front that um that makes a distance a difference. It's like someone will be able to make those leads work. It's just if you're not making those leads work, it's most likely because of that process, not because of anything that's happening sort of within the platform.
0: Tell me how the running of ads and personal brand mold together, right? I mean, is it that once you have a personal brand established and then when you run ads, then it just draws more attention to you? Like, is there a specific strategy that you use to to have those two play off each other?
1: Yeah, so it's effectively adding leverage to your ad campaigns. So just your response rate is going to be greater. So mm-hmm. let's say, like, if, if if I was to be advertising Like let's say another business was advertising a software that Facebook advertisers use a lot. If they got me to review the software and I create a short little video, when they run that as their ad, me reviewing their software, the video itself... People are just going to stop and give it, pay it more attention that are in the Facebook ad space because some of them will recognise me from my content and things like that. They go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I know who that is, and they'll just give it a bit more attention, and that then buys you time for them to have a look at all the things that um, they might then be interested around the offer. And oh, what does this do? So it, it, it's it's. When you think about facebook and instagram specifically it's a scroll stopper that's so important you know if you're talking real estate for example there are definitely people within that space that could be used to help push whatever it is or even if you are advertising as a real estate agent for uh, local properties you could have someone that was known within that local area be involved in a, you know this real estate agent's great i'd recommend using it these things make a huge difference and this is known within marketing people have been using celebrities in tv ads for that like newspaper ads and radio ads like it's it's well known and it definitely applies to um to like digital advertising as well
0: let's talk about the use of celebrities. so let's say you don't have a personal brand let's say building a personal brand seems hard and it would take time and you want to run an ad campaign how should somebody be thinking through the economics of a influencer like how much should they be willing to pay how should they think about that whole equation
1: yeah so i think most advertisers spend too much on the ads and not enough on the other stuff so like i said if you can get an influencer in your ad creative and that makes your campaigns three times as effective should you be willing to take 20 percent of your total budget out of the ads themselves and, and dedicated to that absolutely so the the roi on t- spending a little bit less on the ads and more on the other stuff that improves the quality like influencers is definitely there i definitely recommend that and the way I would normally recommend people do it is to start small. So there are lots of influencers that only people in that space know about. Like no one else knows who they are, and they're not that expensive to get them to do something for you. Like I, you know, I would I would be an example of that in terms of I never get stopped walking down the street or anything. The only people, the only time I ever get recognised is if I go to like. A digital advertising conference or something, because those are people that you know that might have seen my stuff. Otherwise, like it's never going to happen. And there are those in every little industry. We had a business; it was in the sort of newborn baby space, right? And um, we had a, a client we're running campaigns for, and we they knew of their influence in their space which most people will do and they hired an influencer to do um, some reviews of their products and create the videos for them and also social media influencers are great at doing stuff like that because they record video all day long it's like you know it suits them really well so we used these videos um, in the campaigns and the results were absolutely night day and i remember having a conversation with the owner's business say well how much did it cost to, to get these these done and it was a thousand dollars for this person to create three different video ads like that was it right? it wasn't crazy money and this person, I don't know, had something like 150,000, 200,000 followers, not massive. And because it's in that like newborn baby space, they don't make much like they might have a following, but they don't make much money from that, especially in, in, in a niche like that. So you can get someone, can we send you a product? Can you record some video reviews of us and we use them in our ads um, to help us get better results for a thousand bucks. They're you know super happy. I think where people go wrong with influencers is they just ask the influencer, to sort of shout out to their own audience, which is great, but that's a sort of one and done type of setup, right? If that influencer says, this is a great product, you you should check it out on it, on their Instagram profile, that's gone two days later, no one's ever going to see it. But if you, they record a video ad that you can then use for the next months, maybe even years, that's way more valuable. Obviously you can get them to do both, but that's just, that's where people go wrong is they miss out on, on that part.
0: Love that talk to me about the reach out strategies. Like, you know, like when we think about guests, there are several different things that we do to get high quality guests on our show. Um, so we've we've kind of got some of that science, uh, we're working on that science. We'll say, what are, what are some of the ways that you would recommend the process be to reach out to these influencers?
1: Uh, I would just, yeah, find them, well, okay, so that, for example, with, with, with in this influence setup that I'm, that I'm talking about, you can use like, third-party services or websites like InfluenCity, I think I've pronounced that correctly. Um, for example, it's like a subscription and they'll do it all for you. So there are obviously paid options. But otherwise, normally what we'd recommend to clients is like, you know the small little ones in your, in your space – just go and send them a DM and see who comes back to you. It doesn't need to be super complicated and just state it right up front. Look, we'd love to get you to review our product. We'll send it to you for free. If you like it, would you be able to leave us a review? Um, and you can either say, let us know your, um, your rate for this um, or we're willing to pay X. Normally I'd go with the, let us know your rate for this because you'll probably get a cheaper rate than what you would yeah. say, um, but, um, but yeah, just simply start with that. And then start with the really small ones and then you can always work your way up. But like the idea would be that your, your brand would start to get some recognition based on like the exposure that you're getting. And then you can use that. Um, hopefully that when you reach out to start to reach out to larger ones in a year's time, two years time or whatever, they go, Oh yeah, I've heard of that. And they're just far more likely to pay attention at that point.
0: Yeah. And you're essentially borrowing somebody else's brand and leverage to, to grow your yeah. own. What yeah. is. I mean, you've scaled this agency to multiple seven figures, you've grown a team, and you're obviously able to play a much different role. What were some of the challenges, things you had to learn, person you had to become in order to to be able to step out?
1: Um, For So many things. (laughs) Um, I think for me, and this is the case for so many entrepreneurs, it's really difficult to let go of tasks. You hire people they're probably not gonna do as good a job as you are because A, they're not as invested and B, if they were super, super talented, then there's a good chance you couldn't hire them anyway. They'd probably be doing their own thing, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and at the beginning, you don't have much money to pay people either, so you really are in a situation. So I think that was really, really difficult where I'd try and give over tasks and then wanna take them back and just really struggle with that in general. Um, the The way to get over that, I found, is you just have to find the right people and you have to accept that that's probably not going to be the first one, two, maybe three people that you find. It's going to take, you know, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. We're going to have to move on. I think I see a lot of, like a lot of friends that have businesses and that have gone through this process. And I'll, I'll sometimes speak to a business owner that's got 20 employees and I'll say, how many people didn't make it through their probationary period? And they'll go, oh, everyone did. And you go, oh, okay, like, that's a problem, like not the, the bar of what is acceptable should not be everyone makes it through their probation period, because there would definitely be people that were performing subpar, you just didn't want to have the difficult conversation and say, this isn't going to work out. Or often, you didn't want to then go through the whole effort of doing more interviews and finding more people and things like that. So I think, I think that is just a huge part of it is being willing to go. If we want a top 1% organization, we need top 1% people, and they're rare by definition. It's one in 100. So um, it's going to be take a lot of time to, to find them. And I think once you feel like you've got some good people on board, it's then a case of working out what you are good at as the business owner and just being like, I'm only going to do this. If anything else comes up, I'm going to get someone else to do it. Even if it doesn't make financial sense initially, it probably will... Like taken out over time, you think, well, I could just do that with a few hours a day. It's like, yeah, but that's a few hours a day that you're taking out of the thing that you're really good at. So like in my, in my case, I feel like I'm really good at explaining complex digital advertising topics in long form video, which has done well for me. So that's what I should be doing. And the difference between me spending three days a week on it or five days a week is actually tons when compounded over years because the quality of the content's better and it makes a huge difference. So yeah, those... Those are some of the two of the things that I really struggled with, because especially when you, you're you not earning tons of money and you think, do I want to take on another 40 grand a year salary to get rid of this task? I could just do it. It doesn't take me that long. It doesn't necessarily make financial sense to do that at the beginning, but over the long run, it almost, if you continue growing, like it absolutely will. Yeah, amazing.
0: What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months?
1: 12 to 18 months, I think um, my business is in a really good place where We've set some really good foundations recently. So this is actually an interesting point that a year ago, my company was totally remote. And now we're about half fully in the office and about half um, remote still. And we're moving much more towards an in-person setup. Like my business really exploded during COVID. So we were just hiring like tons of people then. um, And we sort of never established, like it wasn't even an option to have an office right then. So you didn't even really think about it. But we're seeing much, much better, um, results on client retention and things like that from having a, an in-person setup. So we're transitioning to that and, and we've been doing that the last six months and we're, we, we're definitely getting there. So I think my business now, we've like made a big change. We've set some foundations and it's just more of what we're currently doing. So I think we can serve three or four times as many clients at any one time. Um, so that's that's sort of the plan and I'll obviously keep churning out content to, uh, to make that happen.
0: Amazing. Ben, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. Um, particularly about how branding works with um, the ads. I think those are, it's really great to hear how the conversions change when your brand changes. Um, I think that was one of Mm. my big takeaways. For those of you out there listening, write down something you learned from today's episode, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too, will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Great, thanks a lot.